Coming to you from the Underground Studio, this is the Sipping Social Podcast. My name is Mike Carl. I'm here with my boy and certified bourbon steward, Garrett Turnquist. Yo. We also have our stellar producer on the mic, Johnny. Say what up. What's up? We're here to dive into all aspects of the restaurant industry. We truly love what we do and more so we love talking about it. We're going to pour, sample, review anything you need to know about. Pour yourself a cocktail and join us on this journey. Let's Let's go. go. Here we are, sitting in the Evanston Retired Ice House amongst a bunch of whiskey barrels and the best backdrop ever for a podcast. The Ice House Rick House. Ice House Rick House. We're sitting here with Steven, who, Steve, I'm sorry, is the (laughs) Director of Operations and Distilling for Few out of Evanston, which is one of our favorite distilleries who we do a bunch of uh, work with. Thank you so much for joining us, man, and having us. Let's have a little cheers, and then we'll talk about what we're sipping on. Cheers. Johnny? We're sipping on few American whiskey, very delicious. I know you probably had a hand in making this. Yep. A little bit. Yep. First of all, I want to thank you guys for rolling out the red carpet for us, taking us to the distillery, going through the private tour, uh, having us here and hosting this for us. This is really big for us, and we're really super excited to be here. I feel like our listeners are going to learn a lot. I'm going to learn a lot, and uh, we're going to get to drink a lot, and uh, hopefully it's good for everybody. Yeah, shout out to Riley for taking us on that tour. That was awesome. Yeah, Yeah. Riley did a great job, and I want to thank Michael for uh, setting this all up, getting the itinerary together, and uh, putting together some great hats for us, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the distillery tour and what we learned about it the, this morning and uh, how, how cool that was. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, it's not my first time do- going on the tour. I, sometimes I feel on that tour you f- you're like taking a tour of a studio apartment. It's so little. <laughs> it is really interesting how much you guys do in such a small space from the cooking in to the, the fermenting to the actual distilling. Uh, we got to see all of it in action. Everything was in moving pieces. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. you guys are moving. I mean, how many times do you guys mash in a day? Two, twice a day. Yeah, Two shifts a day, seven days a week. That's nuts. Yeah. So yeah, no days off here in Evanston. It was really interesting seeing... Uh, um, the product get cleaning, and then we actually got to taste some of the product coming off the still of the rye, which is my personal favorite. And we were tasting the hearts, which is the best part. It wasn't like the heads coming through, which is totally badass. And for anybody that's in the area, you guys should definitely come on a uh, tour here, um, check out the, the space. Very knowledgeable guys over here. And I feel like when you actually see the science and the art behind everything, you have a much bigger appreciation for the product when you're actually sitting there sipping on it. I totally agree. Yeah, I mean those those gin stills are like beautiful. Yeah, I oh, mean the copper gin still. I mean they, they're all lit up inside. And and everything yeah. it's really really cool look it's almost like a piece you want to just put in your house sure they're, they're total pieces of art <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's to be able to weld stainless and copper like that together i mean those beads are just gorgeous mm-hmm. riley who we shouted out earlier clearly knows what he's talking about and i liked his passion for for the industry when i go on tours if somebody's not passionate about it i just i'm done in two minutes you know what i mean i just Absolutely. it's just like a drone but he, he definitely uh has the passion that i want to see when when you're on a tour and, and learning about the basic information and it's not even basic it's actually very integral to what's going on sitting in this rick house this is your guys's second rick house technically our third technically your third yeah. so what would technically be the so, first uh, our first one we moved into and in a year we filled it up to rope where warehouses and we just knocked down a wall into okay. the second one okay so two spaces over there once we filled that up we needed this one and that was a bit of a hairy timeline we were at the point where we had the space the lease sign but we're waiting for government approval 
to nice. put wet barrels here. So and we that were, usually goes by really quick, right? Oh, super quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's no <laughs> <VRC>, overnight. <laughs> there's no red tape. It's yeah. totally fine. It's totally easy. Uh, and we ended just up just in line at the VFW and, and you just sign some papers and you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. And we had we were to the point where you know every stack we'd harvest out of the other rack house, we'd fill it up immediately, and we were getting to the point where we had you know a ton of temporary IBCs, maybe about forty to fifty IBCs sitting in the distillery. We had these little aisles that we can kind of scoot between nice uh, but we couldn't stop making whiskey you know that's not the game we're in no right. we got to keep making right so uh we were two weeks away from being able to, like having to find someplace else for the whiskey to go temporarily but luckily the licensing came through it all worked and out here we are yeah cool. so to give people like a, an idea of what we're sitting in we're in like this giant brick warehouse from built in when 1900 yeah 1900 I mean, early this, 1900s i mean this place is old yes uh <laughs> and it is huge and it's super tall and in every direction that we look, there's barrels either soaking whiskey or about to. Yes. It's, it smells like oak with whiskey, like, seeping out of it. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that, that's the smell that hit me when I walked into this place this there's morning. There's, like, no lights on. Yep. It's you, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there's no air movement. We found yep. one outlet. <laughs> One to hour. plug our stuff in. Which is all we needed. Yep. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. So for this building, I mean, right now it's storage for barrels and everything, but this will be the future home of production for few. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. So we're, awesome. we're actually talking about how many rack houses. We're in the process of condensing a little bit. We are just finishing up licensing on our new rack house, again, all in Evanston. And hopefully that's going to get us for the next 10 years, at least all barrels over in one spot. So once we clear all this out, uh, all this behind, then we'll start build out on making this the production facility. There is a lot of barrels in here. Yes. How many barrels yeah, yeah, are in here? This meaning like you know? hundreds of barrels. Yeah. There's, there's about uh, a little under 6,000 barrels. Yeah. So and that's, that's so when you say, like, yeah, when we move all this stuff out, that's like, like me saying, like, when I move my house into... Yeah, it's like a two-month... It's got to be like a two- to three-month project. project yeah, right? we're, we're in the midst of kind of figuring that out. If you guys need help, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be busy that weekend. <laughs> How are you on a forklift? <laughs> yeah. You trained up, certified? I think I... I mean, the space <laughs> over here is really small. I bet yep. I can navigate that. We got yeah. a couple pictures on Garrett on the forklift earlier, right. and uh, he right. looked pretty natural. It's I think not, he's in. I've done it before. It's not as hard as you think, but you can... If you screw up, you it's bad. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of whiskey. Well, I mean, just... Even just the forklifts are expensive. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Not only are we sitting amongst a bunch of barrels of whiskey, we are sitting amongst a bunch of bottles in front of us. For those of you that are listening, we have six few spirits sitting in front of us. For this portion of our two-part series, we're going to really focus on the gin. Gin is new to us as far as the podcast. We've never reviewed or talked about gin. No. Uh, so going outside of our normal, you know, box of what we do. So I'm I'm stoked about that. I'm I'm finding for my own palate, gin's starting to come around. I've always been a brown spirit kind of guy but i'm starting to like uh some of the the gins that are out there which is great so we're going to be reviewing the gins in a little bit do you want to talk about which gins now or do we want to talk I'll about that it. yeah I'll we'll save it, it. Save it for later. i want to know more about steve cool just kind of give us a little bit of a background of where you come from and how you came to be with few and kind of that relationship and how you guys have uh you know brought that about Sure. I moved to Chicago from New York about seven years ago now. Do you miss all the garbage on the streets? Uh, <laughs> no, the garbage is fine. Listen, <laughs> Chicago, downtown Chicago. I love Chicago dearly, but downtown Chicago sometimes smells like sewage for no reason. So at least I like, oh, to, those see, reasons. I like to see what I'm uh, smelling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I moved here about seven years ago. My wife and I were sitting in our apartment in Manhattan, spending way too much money on a 400-square-foot apartment, sitting down to eat on our couch. She said, no more. <laughs> I need someplace to sit that's not a couch. Right. So I think like two months later, we were here. 
And previously, I worked for American Valley Theater in arts administration. So, you know, the natural progression to get into whiskey from arts oh, administration. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, as, it's everybody's as it goes. Yeah. 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 And Mike really, was a ballet dancer before he became a, a bartender. See? They're the most amazing athletes. It's really insane. <laughs> they are they are absolutely, like, you see them. They're 100% pure muscle. They're Look Adonis's. at them. It's Look insane. At them. I'm pure muscle. you gotta be light on, you got to be light on your feet to run around a restaurant. Do you, do you want me to do some <laughs> yoga right now? You, you want to see the warrior pose? We only yeah. have an hour and a half. <laughs> So I came here, wanted to not sit at a desk. So applied to every brewery under the sun to donate my time, um, basically, and heard back from three breweries. Thanks, um, but we're, we're good right now. Um, so then happened to be drinking downtown, and the bartender is a big fan of few. Said, hey, you should go check a few out. Came up here, tried through the product. Hey, do you need any help? From there, came on as an intern. First day, filling five-gallon barrels with a mason jar uh, <laughs> in a funnel. So a little bit different operation at the time. Yeah. After a month or so, they needed a distiller, came on there, moved up, head distiller, production manager, and then director of operations and distilling. So, yeah. Moving right up the ladder. American yeah. Right it's the beauty of a small company. Like, you know, it's a small company. As, as, it, as it grows, and you can grow with it. and Assert yourself and make yourself part of the culture and what's going on and you have a chance to grow with it. Awesome. You must have really impressed them with your mason jar skills. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I could pour, you know, even just two milliliters. Hey. Two milliliters. <laughs> Some good wrist Don't action right there. On that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So you so it sounds like you've done almost everything. What do you think is the most important part of whiskey making in everything, general? Everything that you're doing, like what's like like work I can't ethic screw this and part personality. Up. That's it. That's the most important thing. There, I mean, craft spirits. It's all small companies. Yeah, there's not a lot of people. I mean, we're fairly large for craft distilling, and we're 12 people split across two sites, so like five six people in each site. It's all about work ethic and culture. So surrounding yourself with the right people, they're going to have the same vision for what you guys are doing to join you in that because clearly 12 people in one company is not a massive production. But sure. after seeing the, the two rack houses and the distillery, like it's there's so many moving parts yes. and the day-to-day operations for you has got to be pretty detailed so how, how do you kind of keep that in line and like what do you, what's what's the things that you i should say prioritize as yeah. far as like top to bottom so i mean prioritizing really is being able to get good people running each site being able to trust on them because i bounce in back and forth every which way so having riley over at the distillery you know i know the site's in good hands i can check in with him see what's going on having miguel over at our rack house our rack house manager being able to know that things are going to get done you know, it's really important. And, you know, it's a constant, we're a small growing company and we're luckily we're eight years old now, eight years old in the beginning of August. And what we're exploring now is really bringing in those best practices to get to 16 years, to get to 20 years, to get to 50 years. You know, we've, we've been this pirate nation for so long and kind of get things done by the seat of our pants. But, mm. you know, to be able to grow further, it's really setting in having proper SOPs and being able to kind of organize everything. Tell everyone what an SOP is. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically... Mostly uh, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, we have this uh, these series of checklists that we use. It's standard operating procedure. Uh, and a series of checklists. So that way, you know, we're bringing on someone new, a new distiller, let's say. We have some distillers that have been there for two years. We have some distillers that have been there for four years. I've been for six and a half years. And everybody, without these SOPs, everyone could do something a little bit differently. When you're training someone, people could be doing things that they don't even realize that they're doing. So having these SOPs allows someone to come in and have that checklist to go, hey, here's what I need to do. 
yeah. and then things don't get dropped and then things get closed down the way they're supposed to get closed down and we don't have hey why is there 50 gallons more in this tank than the system shows that's kind of like what we talked about with jp from salamoth about having all your checks and balances in order yeah. based like every brewery is a little bit different every distillery is a little bit different but they're starting to become a little bit more common so people can kind of get plugged in a little bit quicker but it might be easier for someone who can kind of come up through the ranks like you did see right. all the different levels of it and then really have the integral knowledge of each moving part to get to that you know for sure and it's a fine line because we also don't want to end up in a place where here's how it's done this is how it's been done for years and that's the way we do it right you know it's it's important we have to and we're good about it but we have to remind ourselves every six months let's look over everything are we still doing this the same way does this make the most sense is there a better way to do this Kind of um, just checking yourself. Just checking yourself. So everything's running all the time. You're bouncing back and forth. How often do you got to jump in and help bottle or clean a, <laughs> clean a, um, clean a still? It really depends on how busy everything is. Mostly just checking up on things. Don't get to jump in as much as I would like to, but it's it's important. It's got to be kind of difficult going from doing it and seeing someone else do it and be like, oh, I really want to jump in on, it was I think I can do a little bit better. Or yeah. Well, it's not even that, but it's, you know, but that's a good point. Cause like when you see those things, like that's exactly what we're just talking about. It's not micromanaging. You're like, Oh, why didn't I train that way? Yeah. You know, what, what did I miss out on training? How can we improve that? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's been nice in that aspect to grow that way as well. During the tour this morning, we got to learn about the cooperage that you guys work with out of Minnesota called the Barrel Mill. The Barrel Mill, yep. Let's kind of talk about that for our listeners. We've not gotten to dive too much into what a cooperage is and sure. the, the oak barrels and like the char levels. So if you can kind of give us a little basic background on that, that'd be yep. great. So we've been working with Barrel Mill since day one. Um, they've been great partners. We've grown with them. And the thing that really sets them apart is that they're using uh, Minnesota oak and they're creating everything themselves. So big important things there is the Minnesota oak, where most oak, you know, for most barrels is sourced from Missouri and the Ozarks and those areas. Minnesota oak is much more north. So you're having a shorter growing season, which means the tighter grain on the wood. And the tighter grain is like the capillary action is going to pull the whiskey in and out a little more aggressively. Barrel is a significant part of the flavor, and we we feel very proud that we're with Barrel Mill and that they are a part of our flavor. So process as far as our barrels go, we get all our staves and barrel heads toasted, and then everything's char three. And it's their char three, everyone's char three is a little different. And that's for the staves, full toasting and char for the staves and the heads. One of the really lovely things is that being partners with them for so long, we get our laser etched heads with all the information that we need to put on there. No need anymore to throw on spray paint or anything or stencil it out, spend that time. And something uh, that you'll notice here is everything is palletized. So when we switched over to palletization two years ago, roughly, they worked with us to start putting the bung up on the head. Mm. So the dream being once yeah, we get a, big all, difference. a huge difference yeah. in, as far as space storage, totally. tasting and aging wise, really no difference. Right. And the beautiful thing is that we will eventually, once we get all our spaces sorted out, we'll be able to put four barrels onto a pallet. We'll be able to fill them. We'll be able to stack them. And when they're done aging, we'll be able to harvest them on the pallet. Mm. No one ever has to move a 650-pound barrel again. That's awesome. You know, saving backs. <laughs> that's that's what we're just about. the liability between that. I mean, hurt somebody or drop the barrel. Yeah. Or, I mean, it just makes sense. There's just it's a, a lot that could go drop. wrong, it seems like. Yeah, we talked about that before, about um, rotating barrels within a rickhouse, like why a lot sure. of people don't do it for those exact same reasons. 
I mean, a lot of places too. Like we get temperature swings in Chicago and really aggressive temperature swings, but at most we're stacking things 15 feet. There's no tef- temperature differential. Sure. From you know the first barrel to the fourth barrel up. So there's no point for us to right. rotate. Are you finding in your rack houses that there's like a sweet spot or? No. Every, everything's pretty similar. Everything's pretty similar. Our rack houses are all pretty consistent. Rack house to rack house, things are a little bit different. So this rack house stays a little bit cooler, and the humidity is like 15, 20 points higher than our other rack house. Yeah, I feel it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the sweat coming through on my hat? Yeah, I think I'm getting. I think I'm getting drunk through the osmosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from all the humidity that could over here. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, if any, I mean, the Barrel Mill is a fantastic partner and touring their space is really cool because they are craft like all of us are. So they have kind of put together these amazing machines for their process. And they have some on-staff engineers that are creating things constantly to make their jobs easier, to make their jobs better. How uh, often do you go out there? So I've been out twice. Um, All right, next I, time you go, give us a call. Hey, We're well, coming with well, you. Hang on. How, how do they feel about traveling podcasts? I, I think they would feel pretty good oh, about it. Yeah. I think they're excited that people are coming to Minnesota. Yeah, it's like 45 <laughs> minutes outside of Minneapolis. Yeah. Like, that's a Johnny, what's your thoughts on uh, taking it on the road to Minnesota? I'll bring my fishing rod. Yep. Mm-hmm. There you go. Pack up the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we could go during you the summer. You could use a new great. biopic. Oh, yeah. yeah that, that, that fish needs a little... Uh, I need to catch something a lot larger than two inches. Exactly. <laughs> when we were at the distillery earlier, we uh, I noticed the the pallets full of grains. Yeah. Obviously, there's the multiple grains that you guys are using in all the different uh, spirits. All that sourced locally or? Yeah. So we source as locally as we can for the quality and the terroir that we like. So for us, what that means, corn is coming coming from southern Illinois, southern Indiana. Rye is coming from Windsor, over the border for, in Canada from Detroit. Okay. And barley is coming from Wyoming, Montana, more northern barley growing regions, especially as the weather's getting warmer and wetter, you know, more north, better. And for like selection, we work with this uh, company, uh, Cereal Byproducts, which they do foodstuffs for a lot of major food production facilities. But they have this awesome, and this company, they have this awesome tiny, tiny, tiny two-person team that handles distilleries. So we get to work with them. They get to come through. Um, every once in a while, they'll say, hey, we have a potential new source. You want to try it? If we're interested, we'll, um, we'll try, we'll do little mug mashes, basically. See how the flavor is different. If things are potentially interesting, potentially good, we'll get a couple pallets in, run whiskey. And for us, it's really all about the flavor. You know, we've, as much as it hurts sometimes, we've had to pass on 10, 15 cent per pound uh, savings on grain because, and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't our whiskey. Sure. You know, we have our flavor profile, big, bold Chicago style whiskey. Yeah. It wasn't our whiskey. You know, it had this like really like roasty, mellow kind of note. Super cool. Not our whiskey. So we need to do some mug mashes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Could, could I go back to the, the term you used earlier? The, yeah. The terroir? Yeah. Johnny, you remember what that means? I don't. Okay. <laughs> Garrett? It's early. It's a little early. So on, the, on our last, J, JP was telling us yeah, about yeah. that. It's it's a wine term. Oh, about, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. About how proud they are of their land and like what it comes from and like how. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now I remember. Now you remember. Yeah. All right, good. So if we get rye in Illinois, it'd be cool. It'd be super close, but it's not the flavor profile right. that we like. You know, the temperature is going to be different. The soil is going to be different. We have this terroir that we shoot for. I'm all about, I don't care where it comes from. People are like, especially like in Michigan or Wisconsin or even Minnesota too, like all homegrown, all within 20 miles of our distillery. No, 
get the best stuff possible, that's what I want to drink. Sure, but there's something to be proud. I know. I totally get about it. being proud of like totally local yeah, and supporting local. For sure, and yeah. especially you're doing something different. Like you're doing something different with the soil. You're growing an heirloom bridal like that. You know, is absolutely I appreciate all of the thing. Yeah, but if I'm, if I'm I want to get the, the best. Stuff I get it. I get it. That's good though. <laughs> yeah. You should want the best, right? I hope so. Cool. Uh, let's talk about the gin for a second, since yeah. that's what we'll be trying in a little bit. Were you around? And this is going to sound dumb. How do you guys figure out the botanicals that you want to use? Um, the ingredients compared to traditional gins? Are you trying to make a stamp on specific gins? And do we want to talk about the three different gins that they have right now? Why don't we do that? Cool. So first and foremost, the most important thing about our gins, being under the few label, we're a completely grain-to-glass distillery, which means we're not sourcing anything, we're not pulling anything in. What we have is grain coming in the door, product and bottles coming out. So for our gins, what that means is that we are making a base for the gin from grain. We're mashing it, fermenting it, distilling it. We're not pulling in any NGS which is going to give the gins a completely different body, mouthfeel, flavor. Um, it's going to be really rich and full. The other thing to note about all our gins is we actually for a while had um, the website Gin for People Who Don't Like Gins because we take down that juniper level and we're amping up other flavors and really letting those shine. So I came in after these two came about, um, but this one, I was there for the development of that, of the breakfast gin. And we'll probably start with the American gin. The American gin is one of the first two products we made. It was that and a white whiskey. Again, going back to the fact that we're grain to glass, we didn't have any aged spirit when we started. So American gin and the white whiskey were first. Again, we're using that weeded whiskey base. So it's 70 corn, 20 wheat, 10 barley. And that wheat is going to give you a nice creamy mouthfeel. And this is uh, our kind of botanical forward gin. We have some citrus lemon from California, some bitter Haitian orange. Um, we have hops that we grow out in the distillery in the alley. The, the flower box that uh, oh, for real? is clear cut. Yeah, we grow you, hops You can see there. the hops farm? I missed it. Yeah, it's local. Yeah, it's right, it's right out the door. It's, it's a state. Yeah, there are state hops. Uh, uh, but yeah, so some hops. Uh, we have a little vanilla, a little um, lavender. And it's just really a really beautiful botanical foraging. Enough going on that you can use it in a Negroni, but really it works really well in a, a martini. You know, simple. Classic martini. Yeah. Cheers. 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 That is gin for people who don't yeah, like gin. For sure. really good. It's, it's yeah. really good. Yeah. The lemon comes through nicely. I, I'm finding from from my palate, the gins that I drink, anything that's got citrus in it, mm-hmm. I'm finding that I like that a little bit more. The juniper, I'm, I'm okay with. Sure. But when it punches you in the face, I'm yeah. just like... The, the tangeray, like Christmas tree. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah. And this is... So they're, they're all aggressively American style. Which is, you know, that take that that evolution of bringing down the juniper, sure, bringing up the other botanicals. That's tasty. Yeah, you get a lot of lavender on the nose too. It's really mm-hmm. good. It's and it's a it's a potent aroma. Yeah, like I can smell it down below my massive beard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, on the label, so for for that in the barrel gin, we have. Um, the Ferris wheel on the label. Let's talk about the labeling. It's it's very cool. I like the packaging. Each picture is a representation of the World's Fair from 1893. Correct, the Columbia Exposition. The Ferris wheel that's on them was the response to the Eiffel Tower. That was the previous World's Fair mm. in Paris that they unveiled that. And each car had room for 60 people. They Did each one have a bar in each one? Yeah, yeah, there's a bar in each one. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's that absolutely pretty cool. Just float around the, right? the, the rooftops of Chicago pouring drinks for it 60 people. It was probably people. pretty rickety, so you could have some like probably some shaking going some natural shaking going (laughs) (laughs) you gotta aerate those cocktails yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh johnny you want to go first and uh you're reviewing yeah let's review them 
Johnny, what you got? Well, I don't. Welcome to the podcast, Johnny. You and welcome, so welcome to gin for me. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't First normally, time? yeah, don't normally uh, drink gin. But when we were decided to do this podcast, I was kind of like, you know, reading up about gin. And um, one of the things that I read, and I don't know if you agree with this, but um, they said gin is quite possibly the most versatile bottle in your liquor cabinet. I totally with agree the, with the amount of things that you can do with gin. Mm. I think it's the best liquor to for make sure. cocktails with. So you can do anything with it. So I would definitely buy this bottle. And as far as out of ten, pretend, pretend Steve's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Really? No, seriously, seriously. This, this is this is the first gin of few that I've that I've had, and uh, I would give it an eight. I mean, I, I love the sip on it. I want to find out what I what else I can do with it. But as far as just sipping it, maybe putting a little ice cube in there, delicious. Nice. Mm-hmm. My palate for gin is definitely growing. Like I said earlier, I've always been on the brown side, but I'm finding the versatility of gin. Also, I just re- recently learned that what a classic martini traditionally is, which is gin, vermouth, and orange bitters. Sure. I think that this would be delightful in that, like just quintessential of what you're looking for in a classic martini. Uh, I'm also giving it an eight, not to piggyback John, but I already had that in my head. And I'm going to buy a bottle of this for my fiance for at home so I can drink it with her. We usually do a, uh, a number rating out of 10 okay. and then say what we would do with it. Initially, it started off with four things. Now it's like 15, like 20. <laughs> It, it always expands. Sure. So you don't have to do that. You don't even have to rate it, but I'm just kind of giving the background of where we come from and how this has evolved into what we're talking about right now. There's a lot of gins that I like. There's gins that I like that you guys do better. I'm going to give this a seven and a half, and I would order it in a cocktail at a bar. Sweet. Are you a gin or a whiskey guy? Whiskey guy. Um, okay. I wasn't into gins until um, working here. Nice. Uh, a few. And really, and I mean, as we're tasting, these are super fantastic gins to get you into gin. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. What do we, uh, what do we got next? Next, we'll go to the most... <laughs> One drop by all your glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the most important gin of the day. This is our breakfast gin. Oh, of course. Uh, what time should people start drinking this? <laughs> Whatever you would like. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. And they usually... So this is the newest gin to our lineup. Don't mess with him. Let's see how quickly that He's knife came knife. out. Did anybody see that on yeah. camera? That came out quick. <laughs> Real quick. It's a utility knife. Um, I can tell you lived in New York. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those hard streets. So most important gin of the day. And this really came from a want to make a gin that doesn't have any coriander, which most every gin does. And wanting to make a gin that doesn't have a traditional bittering root. Uh, no gentian root, no orris root, no angelica root, no nothing like that. So super simple. We're using that same base. That's 70 corn, 20 wheat, 10 barley base. And a super simple botanical recipe, Earl Grey tea, lemon, and juniper. Mm. So we all know uh, steeping a cup of tea, five minutes at most. We're letting the botanicals sit in the spirit before the run for two hours. And then we're keeping it in for the entirety of the run. This is what I was talking to you about, Johnny, when we're looking at that gin still. The whole tea bag leaf of... Yeah, stuff inside. and we soak everything inside. For all of our gins, we like big, bold flavors. So we're leaving the botanicals in for beforehand, different times, depending on the recipe, and then for the entirety of the run. So we're getting full alcohol extraction, and then we're getting full heat extraction. And it's in the spirit, so it's not, you know, spirit floating through, but it's, it's a bigger, different flavor. So with the tea, basically, we're letting it go through, and we get all those really nice high tea notes, but we're also getting bitter tea tannins. And that's going to balance out the spirit, round it out. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't use any more bitterness, too, because I think this has got plenty in it just from the tea alone. Exactly. And this in, you know, any French 75, bee's knees, anything citrus, anything bubbles, even a red snapper, doing like a Bloody Mary with this instead, really fantastic cocktail. I mean, I've seen some cocktail bars do 
in a teapot, you know, a cocktail for one or two in a teapot, fill the ice, do it, and you pour it out. Looks super cool. Yeah. You want to adapt it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going on Amazon right now. Yeah. <laughs> start buying some mini teapots. No, no, you got to do like the garage sale, like antique store, you know, find the mix match. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, tell me how much you time, time you have right? with your yeah. kids. Listen, listen, Rhonda loves garage sales. Yeah. yeah. Put her to the task. I guarantee you have yeah, way more need, teapots than you ever you wanted. You delegate that, that, that duty for sure. Mm-hmm. That's tasty. It tastes a little bit more like a traditional gin, a traditional dry gin yep. to me. Definitely the juniper came through a little bit more forward than the, the previous. I'm still liking it. I don't necessarily like it as much as I did the last one, so I'm going to give this one a seven, but still tasty in my eyes. Yeah, this one was pretty tasty for me, but uh, with you, Mike, I, I kind of prefer the American gin, the, more, the brighter, a little more floral uh, tasting gin. Um, this one, I'm not going to go as low as you. I'm going to go 7.75 on this because I don't think it's you know down in, in the sevens. I'd like to try a cocktail with this. I'd like to see what, what we can do with this one. I am buying this one for my house. I'm rating this one 8.3, uh, and I'm strictly making cocktails with it at home mm. with a little bit of Lillette. Uh, and yeah. some elderflower and a little bit of lemon juice, martini style. Yeah, that's where it shines. Yeah, uh, this stuff comes through so nicely with like those subtle hints of those liqueurs. This stuff is fantastic. This is my favorite, my favorite gin that you guys make. To be honest with you, anything that's not brown that you guys make, this is my yeah. favorite. One. <laughs> Johnny, what are you gonna do with it? Oh, I said I would get a cocktail with it. So I'm gonna oh, come I'm over I'm to your house, Garrett. Yeah, and you're gonna <laughs> prove to me that it's it's an 8.3. All right, Ooh, nice. perfect. Let's get out of here right now. <laughs> <laughs> What is up next on the gin the train over here? Barrel gin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, next we have our barrel gin. Um, so this is a completely different recipe. It's not the American. It's not the uh, breakfast gin just put into barrel. It's something completely different. So this is our most juniper heavy of all the recipes. Uh, we have juniper, lots of fennel seed, lots of coriander, and a good amount of angelica root as well. And then it's going to be triple barrel aged. So it's going into ex-bourbon, ex-rye, and also new oak all separately. And then it's going to be blended all back together. That sounds awesome. And we try to throw a significant amount. You know, doing the three different barrel types, there was a significant amount of color and age on it. So it really rides that line between gin and whiskey. You get tons of like tropical notes, like the coriander changes a ton uh, after the barrel aging. That is smooth. That is really good. That is good. good. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite one so far. And this one... I mean, any classic gin or whiskey cocktail, substitute out the barrel gin. You know, old-fashioned Manhattan Negroni brings a whole new life to the cocktail. I agree. I think you have to be careful with this one a little bit that you don't lose the flavor of the gin when yep. making your cocktails. So you have to be really delicate with your other ingredients. But, uh, yeah, stuff's pretty awesome. Flavor is amazing. The oak comes through nicely. And um, I wish I was I was able to say my palate's refined enough to notice the different barrels, but I, I feel like there's a little bit of pepper in there from the rye, and um, just the oak is is a nice finish. Yeah, it's really soft. I'm gonna give it a seven and a half, and I would gift this one. Okay, all right. I'm giving this one an eight point five. Woo! Oh yeah, yeah. That, th- this is tasty. It's really good. Yeah, um, I'm there with you, Mike. Out of these three, this is this is my favorite. Yeah, and, uh, I'm definitely up there in the 8.5. It's smooth. I'd like to try it in a cocktail, but I'd also like to have it like just with a like a cube and like a little little zest on top, mm. just a little spritz well, of something. Well, mm. Mm, mm, it's mm, just mm. a little. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's a it's a real whiskey drinker's gin. I, seriously, yeah. I mean, you nailed it right here. Yeah, I like it. So we're going to my house to make a cocktail with the breakfast gin, and then we're gonna drive over to Mike's house for a cocktail. With the barrel aged gin. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to fall asleep with the American gin. <laughs> <laughs> Cuddle in it. Cuddle. <laughs> On the couch. Yeah. I should have asked you this earlier. Yeah. What's what's your production rate between the gin and the whiskey? Is it 50-50? Oh, got is it. it. Uh, <laughs> we, we are first and foremost a whiskey company. Okay, perfect. Um, so gin is about 
ten percent if it's most uh, of our production. Okay, I, but um, I feel like it's, it's really refined. I mean, obviously, you guys yep. have been working with it for a long time. It's clean. It's. I mean, just because it's low doesn't mean we're not gonna we're, we're gonna sure. put our full sure. force and our full efforts right. behind it. But just as far as you know, where our focus is, we are a whiskey company. So you guys, you guys uh, make this about a third of the time of the year. Less, a lot less. Yeah. So what we'll do really is, um, so all three use that weeded whiskey base. Yeah. You know, once a quarter or so, we'll make up a big batch of that base, run it through the stripping still, the column still. Yep. Uh, and then dose that out with the botanicals into our gin still. Yeah, we're gonna show a video of that stripping still. I think it's really interesting. For a lot of people, just assume that product gets mashed in, cooked, fermented, and then run through a still. There's a little more yep. into it. So we're gonna show a video of There's that. I think ton. it's really interesting. And that still is, uh, it's the second 12-inch column that Vendome has ever made. So it's like, a, for all intent purpose, it's a new design, and it, those column stills, for as simple as they are, you know, it's not just scaling down. It took us about six to nine months to get that running the way we really wanted it to. Fine-tuning it and getting it the way you like it. Yeah. Uh, the company that you guys use for those stills, mm-hmm. um, is that local? Is Vendome for the column still. That's where that comes from. That's in Kentucky. Okay. Um, and they make you know stills for tons of American producers. As far as American column skill, stills go, they're the ones. That's got to be the pride and joy of like the production, as far as like your stills go, knowing them and they all yeah they all play a part. Like our Cota stills, which we finish our whiskey engine on um, from Germany, like those are you know equally as important as as much a part of the flavor. You know, there's not not one that really sets it apart. They're all pretty integral. I have one more question. So yeah. when you're done with like, these barrels, you sell them off? Yep. Uh, we sell them off uh, breweries, other distilleries, you know, for bourbon and rye. Obviously, we can only use them once. Um, so we will use some a second time for barrel aging. We will use a few for our yearly release of single malt, uh, which is our, you know, our take on a scotch style. So how much you sell the barrels for? People ask me that all the time. Yeah, it really depends uh, on how, with well, the quantity. You know, it, it ranges. You know, we, we can go down in price if you're pulling a couple pallets. So a couple pallets <laughs> would be like 16 of them at a time? Uh, yeah, 16 for 12 to 16, depending on the size of the barrel. All right, and so at if, that I, point, if I could get 16 people together so they wanted a barrel, what do you sell them for? With the, the booze in it? At that no, point. no, 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 no. Empty. <laughs> empty? Yeah, I mean, with oh, the booze in it, I have a pretty good idea how much that costs. Okay. Yeah. More than I can handle, but sure. uh, like 80 bucks, 100 bucks? Yeah, 80 to 100. Usually. Okay. All right, yeah, put us down for 16. Yeah. We'll get that You're buying 16 barrels right now? I guarantee you we can find 14 other people who want one. That's money. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Obviously, in the beer world and the, the whiskey world, there's a lot of collaborations going on. I only know of one collaboration that you guys have done. Is it the Four Which Kings? One? Oh, Four Kings, yeah. Is it the Four, Four Kings? Kings so is, cool. is there other collaborations you guys have done, or is there anything in the works? Lots. Uh, Lots. Some stuff we can talk about, some stuff we can't. Okay. Um, we... Let's talk about the stuff you can't. Yeah, yeah let's do that. <laughs> I can you bleep know. out uh, <laughs> yeah. what you say. We'll cut it. We're cutting all this anyway. We've done yeah. some really cool collaborations with Copper and Kings down in Kentucky. We do. They've taken some of our barrels. We've taken some of their barrels. Cool. Aged our products in them. Like the the rye finished in Copper and Kings brandy barrels. Awesome. Yeah, that's so um, We're doing a collaboration right now with Goose Island and Peapod. Um, so for like boiler makers, yeah. So the we're company that like grocery shops for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, which is Evanston based. Okay. Uh, so they started here. So they're kind of bringing it all together, and we're doing these like boilermaker packages with uh, with Goose, you know. And we're kind of always looking. The Four Kings is really cool. The Four Kings is um, it's tasty. Yeah, it's like it's a blended whiskey basically. So we we pick a format every year: bourbon, rye, malt, experimental, and then we usually cycle it through. And everybody puts in some juice and rebarrel it, let it melt together. 
it's a it's a cool one. I'm glad that you said it that way because I wasn't sure how the collaborations worked. With, yeah. With breweries, it seems pretty straightforward. Everybody gets together, they brew. Sure. It seems with the collaborations for you guys, you could be just swapping out barrels. It could be, be swapping a out ton juice, of different things. blending juice. There's a lot of different. That's cool. I never thought of it that way, so I'm glad that I asked that question, even though. Yeah, good, good question, Mike. Hey, thanks, Garrett. I was looking for a pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny's usually our question master. <laughs> for all of you who have not had few gin, you have three great options based on what your palate is, whether you want to make cocktails, whether you want to sip on it, whether you like the, the oak that comes out of it for whiskey. You have great options. I encourage all of you to definitely come out and try some, whether it's at few, whether it's one of the restaurants that Garrett and I uh, run or if it's somewhere else, you know, but definitely check it out. Expand your palates as we expand our palates over here. Let's talk about the merchandise that we have that we're going to be giving away. Our boy, Michael, who put these hats together, there are a few sipping social collaboration uh, right on the front of, should we get one of the hats and put it like right yeah. here? Yeah, we let's, should uh, let's let's uh, post one of these up on the video. Obviously for the listeners, you, you, uh, you can't see it, but I'm going to describe it. We have a new era fitted hat that's mesh, one size fits all. You get the beautiful few logo on the front, and then on the side, you get the Sipping Social uh, podcast logo. We are going to be giving several of these hats away. Uh, what we would like our listeners to do, you guys, is to send in uh, some comments on few products, uh, establishments that you've had few, or even beverages that you've had with few products. Write in, text us, whoever the first couple people are that do that. Yeah, I would say text photos and, and emails photos at, at info at sippingsocial.com. There you go. That's how you want to do it. The first several people that do that, we, we will get you a hat um we are going to have one of them signed by the production company so that's going to be an extra special one so several hats to be available to our listeners and also we will be running uh some programs at the restaurants for people who are drinking few products and also for our servers who are selling few products so just a way to kind of pump up uh what they got going on uh, not that they need it but every extra bit uh helps and uh, we always want to be involved with the best and in our opinion uh they're well, if the you're best gonna drink, you might as well have a good one exactly yeah and then and, and for Chicagoland area and local, these guys are the best. First and foremost, we want to thank Few and uh, Steve for uh, having us out here and taking the time out of your day. Clearly, the still is running 24-7. You are a very busy guy. You guys are all very busy. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. I, I've learned a lot in this last 45 minutes. I want to just offer the invitation to you that if you're ever in the western suburbs, you want to go by, come by the Burger Social, Maze of Mash, you know, we'd love to take care of you and your family. Awesome. We want to send a shout out to our boy Sean, who's looking good over there, dancing it up, taking great photography pictures uh taking great pictures yeah. not photography pictures yeah how can we get in touch with sean if we want to how can we get in touch with sean you want to come over here and get a little snippet yeah you're talking to the mic come here real quick you sexy bastard <laughs> you guys need some uh dope photos or anything just at the sean henderson on instagram or shoot me an email at info at the sean henderson.com and happy to get you some good images nice. he'll, he'll make nice, you look nice, sexy nice. Photo pictures is my yeah. <laughs> some photo <laughs> pictures, some photo pictures. <laughs> photo pictures if we can get those on a cd-rom that'd be great <laughs> uh we gotta send a shout out to our boy michael uh this guy set it all up michael come over here for a second please thank you so much for uh setting this all up for us brother you're the, you're the man behind all this and uh putting us all together and uh doing it up so we want to say uh, thank you to you and definitely want to take care of you and your lovely bride right yeah. Anytime you guys come into the, the western suburbs, we want to take care of you. So, so come that. by. Thank you. No you need, it. but, uh, you know, we got to thank these guys first and foremost for making good spirits for me to sell and bring to you. And next time I'll bring the single malt, no complaining. Ah, that a boy. That a boy. So that's part one of our, uh, our series here, a few. Uh, can't wait for the next part. And uh, we're going to go get some lunch and then uh, come back and drink some whiskey. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys.
First of all, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, families, and friends that support us throughout this. We couldn't do this without you. Subscribe to us on iTunes and check out exclusive content at our website, SippingSocialPodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook. If you like this podcast, tell your friends about us. A huge thank you to our producer, John, in the Underground Studio. A shout-out to our boy, Johnny Perona and Davenport Ed. That's the rock and music you're hearing in the background. Thanks again, and we look forward to the next cocktail with you. So this is technically the old, it's called the Evanston Ice Rink? Ice House. Ice House? Evanston Ice House? So there was ice in here? Yeah, so it's um, it hotter than balls in here. Yeah, right now. Thank God, it's cool outside. They ripped off all the insulation. <laughs> they pulled uh, ice out of the lake and brought oh, it in here, and that's why that room has all that stuff all over the wall. It's all cork. Mm. It's six inches of cork, and then wood paneling, and that's where they kept ice and kept it cool. So what did they do in here? Uh, I think they moved it and processed it, cut it up, okay. and got it back onto the trains down into the city. Glad I brought an extra undershirt. <laughs> I'm going to need it for the second one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> At least it's nice and cool today. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely is. If it was a hotter day, we'd be yeah, we'd be sitting here naked. Buck naked. The beauty of rack houses. We still can. It's, it's early. <laughs> it's early. By the end, we might be. <laughs> Every 20 minutes, somebody just takes a layer yeah. of clothes off.